Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that, as you well know, brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis that you don't get anywhere else except on this podcast. I'm McGarry and with me, as always, is Duncan Castles. We will be discussing Chelsea, Manchester United, Liverpool, and uh, an old friend, uh, someone who uh, has been very careful, let's just say, about his career choices since leaving uh, Manchester United as assistant head coach Rui Faria. And of course, it being the first pod of the week, here when Villain will be with us at the end of the pod. But Duncan, let's start uh, with Chelsea because um, despite being top of the Premier League and uh, basically uh, continuing their very excellent form since Thomas Tuchel took over from Frank Lampard um, almost a year ago, uh, there is some frustration, it has uh, to be said, and dissatisfaction with the performance and lack of consistency of German international striker Timo Werner. Uh, We understand here at the transfer window that um, the continued lack of goals uh, in terms uh, of what Werner is producing is becoming a source of both frustration and disappointment to Tuchel, despite the fact that he has put his faith in him and given him perhaps more starting time uh, than his performances have warranted. Uh, However, there's also a slight conflict of interest, Duncan, because Marina Granovskaya, the de facto chief executive at Chelsea, was very instrumental in recruiting Werner uh, to Stamford Bridge. Granovskaya, it's fair to say, is someone who considers herself a very shrewd and successful operator in the transfer market. However, uh, it cannot be ignored that Werner's um, performances stroke return on goals and chances created have been um, a source of disappointment and also um, not what was expected for the investment that the club made in the player. Now, there's an interesting angle here, Duncan, um, in the sense that uh, Pini Zahavi, uh, often described as the original super agent, uh, represents Robert Lewandowski and has done for more than two years. Uh, Zahavi is also a very close confidant of Granovskaya. And it is certainly the case that he has offered Lewandowski to Chelsea and Granovskaya in a move which could include Werner going to Bayern. Now, uh, I think we all know what a hero um, the Polish international centre-forward is at the Allianz Arena, and it would not be a popular move uh, for him to depart. However, uh, it's also been the case that Lewandowski has said publicly in the last two to three months that he would be prepared to consider a new challenge, uh, and a challenge which was outside of Germany, um, having played all of his senior career there. 
uh, and that perhaps given his proven goal-scoring record and at the age of just 32 compared to other strikers and someone whose record is still stellar with regards to um, his strike rate. And of course, uh, we'll come on to this maybe later, Duncan. I'm sure you've got an opinion on it. Uh, was runner-up in the Ballon d'Or this week. Um uh, remarkably, according to Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, however, uh, Lewandowski may well be open to a move to the Premier League and to, to Chelsea. And perhaps uh, Bayern could sell in the idea of a new young striker and, of course, a German international as well to their fans in order to replace Lewandowski and his goals. And, of course, Duncan... Uh, Werner's uh, goal record, uh, his seasonal record in the Bundesliga in his time there was quite exceptional, especially when you compare it to what he's been doing in the Premier League. Um, it does look like, in some ways, a logical move, but mm, as we both know, Duncan, goals are the hardest thing to buy in a January transfer window. Um, so this would be a very complicated and also an expensive negotiation. Yeah, I think you, you look at the comparison of what Werner's done for Chelsea, um, just one goal in the Premier League this season, six last season, um, total return for Chelsea, 15 goals and 64 appearances. Compare that to not his entire Bundesliga career, but his career at Leipzig, where it was... 78 goals in 127 Bundesliga games. Didn't score particularly prodigiously for Stuttgart before he moved to, to Leipzig. But there's a, there's a massive contrast there. Um, it has clearly been a failure. Um, and it, it's, as you're reporting, Thomas Tuchel is becoming um, particularly uh, enervated about being pushed to try and turn that failure into a success when he is in an extremely competitive Premier League this season um, has been without Romelu Lukaku, who was brought in to be the first choice uh, number nine for a for a sustained period of the season. Um, Chelsea went out of their way, as you said, Manarina Granskaya, um, trumping Jurgen Klopp's extensive attempts to take. Werner to Liverpool, um, paying the release clause of 55 million euros and and giving Werner substantial wages to come there. Um, it would be something that works for Werner if he could get a move back to the Bundesliga and particularly to uh, basically the champions every season in Bayern uh, at age 25. Um, it would work for Tuchel if he can get that problem off his books and replace him with a a reliable striker to have to work in partnership or in rotation or as a as a backup to Lukaku. Um, but yes, you're right to point out that Granovsky doesn't like being seen to have failed in the transfer market and that is uh, one of the problems here. Um, another problem is whether Bayern would actually decide to cede Lewandowski um, Lewandowski has been pushing for some time to get a more substantial contract there. Um, Pini Zahavi has been working on trying to move him or at least get an offer for him from uh, one of the other major clubs in world football, either to 
give Lewandowski the choice whether he wants to finish his career elsewhere or use it for leverage to get a a, a larger contract at Bayern um, to finish finish his career there. So lots of elements in, in play and it's important that Zahavi has that relationship with Chelsea and that relationship with, with Granovskaya um, and can use that to work through this. Um, but it's it's clear Werner's a problem for Chelsea, Werner's a problem for Tuchel and, and, and Werner being in the Premier League has, has kind of turned it into a problem for himself because he you hear people talking about how he lacks confidence in the training ground and you, you see that in his performances. He looks like a player who doesn't believe in himself when he's on the pitch for the club. It's an interesting one with regards to Lukaku, who has obviously been missing Duncan um, through injury for the last six to seven weeks. Um, Lukaku at Internazionale played as a lone striker, but was able to play in a two or a one-up, one-off. Lewandowski is used to playing um, as a lone striker, but again, has also played in a two or with a support uh, 10 or nine and a half, if you like, behind him. You described, and it's a big word to use, uh, the F word, failure, about Werner. Um, But at the same time, I mean, can you imagine Lewandowski and Lukaku together? Because they are different players, but I think they're players who would complement each other in terms of Lewandowski's movement. And, you know, obviously Lukaku has almost everything the modern striker needs uh, to succeed, especially in the Premier League. And you could just see them absolutely tearing it up if they were put in the same team or, as you said, if they were rotated. And, of course, giving Tuchel the opportunity as well to solve a problem, which Werner is becoming more of a problem on a weekly basis. You're correct to say, and I have heard it from people inside Chelsea, that his attitude, that his uh, head has dropped in training. Uh, He has fallen away in terms of the intensity of his effort. It's kind of like he thinks, I'm in a situation which is a no-win here. Um, I'm not suited to this club. I'm not suited to this league. Um, My confidence is short and my stats back that up. So um, I I would give this a pretty good chance in terms of at least the negotiation becoming a reality and something which could possibly progress. Not saying it's going to happen because these kind of transfers are incredibly complex, as we know. However, um, I think the prospect for Tuchel, for Werner, and uh, obviously for the other interested parties is something which is appealing and something which I understand is currently being discussed. Although, and you know, this is the case, not necessarily currently being talked about in terms of figures and numbers and contracts, simply knocking about the idea that this is a possibility. Look, I think Tuchel would have to come up with a different system. Um, which is not beyond him. He's he's clearly a, a very adept manager at um, uh, deploying 
different formations and different ways of playing games that suit the the personnel he has available to him. Um, I don't see Lukaku being happy with being rotated. I'm not particularly sure that Lewandowski would be happy being rotated either. So then you you have to work out a way to get both of them in the same team all the time, um, which is not impossible, but would involve a, a fairly radical change, I think, to the, the default system that Tuchel has alighted upon at Chelsea. So that that's an added complication there. And, and in many ways, it might be more a more fluid move if they can find a taker for, for Werner um, to, to bring in a second striker um, who has um, less expectations of being the, of the star man and being um, used in every match. And obviously Lewandowski now, having been, had two Ballon d'Ors taken off him in the space of two years, um, I, I would imagine one of his, his criteria for his his uh, next club or his next contract, if it, if he chooses to remain at Bayern, is that he is on the pitch so he can he can have another go at um, at uh, beating the conundrum of the of the France football judges to get that that trophy for once. At some point, um, our loyal listeners. We shall name and shame those journalists who choose the Ballon d'Or winner. Um, we'll go through. Uh, I do believe, Duncan, you may have actually been on that particular panel at some point. Uh, not the France football one. I was on the, the FIFA. The, the FIFA one, yeah. When it was a joint FIFA Ballon d'Or, I was on the panel for that for two years, I think. Well, I'll be writing to Robert and telling him that if he's looking for a scapegoat, you're the man. Um, I, cer- <laughs> I certainly wouldn't have voted for Lionel Messi this year if I still had a, a, a say in that process. Answers on the back of a postcard to Mr. Henry Winter, Care of the Times, London, UK. We will come on to the pursuit of Timo Werner by Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool, which we reported extensively on the transfer window at the time to the point where Klopp was convinced that Werner was going to be a Liverpool player. However, we are going to um, just reflect, but also, of course, bring you news and information and update on the appointment uh, of Ralph Ranick as interim coach and I'm going to say that Duncan with parenthesis interim because uh, that certainly is what Manchester United have put into his contract but in a quite unusual move have also awarded him a contract as a consultant to the club for two years after his interim spell in charge expires at the end of this season. Now, our information and what we are hearing um, in very interesting developments is that Ranić, well, apparently satisfied to do the audition and to do the song and dance uh, for Manchester United with regards to his interim 
spell in charge, has ambitions much bigger than just to be a temporary solution to what has been a long-term problem. Ranić believes that if he does well, or indeed if he succeeds and even wins a trophy, then his position with regards to carrying on in the role of head coach will be strengthened, you could say. You could even say that it would be tenable in terms of what Manchester United need, what the fans would want, rather than bringing in someone to start again with ripping things up and recruiting, etc., etc. Why would you want to do that if you've got a coach in place, uh, one who's been described as one of the great innovators in European and world football, and of course one who has not, to this point in his career, um, been employed by a stellar club in a position that gives him the opportunity to work with elite players um, on the, the kind of level that Manchester United can provide. Obviously, there are a lot of problems there. There's a fractured dressing room. There are players who are out of contract. And also uh, there is the disassociation, which continues to be um, a hurdle with what the owners appear to want and what the club stroke, what the fans and traditionalists of Manchester United want. Duncan, my question, I guess, is this. If you are Pochettino, Rogers, etc., who we have reported as being candidates for the longer-term post, would you want Ranić, having been successful in the interim role, first of all, looking over your shoulder, having had his feet under the table, having had the opportunity to politic, and we know he's a very clever and very political individual uh, with regards to their performance should they come in and take his place as head coach. And also, if you are Manchester United, and Rani does do a, a very good job, whatever um, circumstances and achievements um, are, uh, uh, to become uh, his, let's just say, mini legacy come the end of the season, would you not just think, why change it? Um, you know, the, the whole cultural reboot thing has proven to be a failure in terms of what they haven't won. Um, but if Ranić can, uh, in some ways, rehabilitate that dressing room and some of those players and that squad, then surely he earns a chance to be the, the gaffer longer term. Look, I think so. I think United have demonstrated that with the, the Uli Gunnar Solskjaer debacle. It's, he, he was brought in as an interim, a pure interim, a, 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 you know, a temporary solution to what had become a, a huge problem for them with Jose Mourinho and that Mourinho was was questioning them and putting pressure on in public and uh, falling out with important elements of the dressing room they needed to change. They brought Solskjaer in. Um, he started with a run of, of good results in, in what was a particularly easy set of fixtures. Um, you know, United were careful about choosing the time for that for that change. And then they got um, bumped into uh, into making him the full-time manager as they called him. So there is that 
path of least resistance, which has already been demonstrated at Manchester United. Um, this has not been a carefully fought through appointment. They they tried to get Zinedine Zidane in to replace uh, Solskjaer and, and put a lot of effort into it and threw a lot of money in his direction and eventually were told, no, I, I, I turned down the opportunity, my my uh, aim is to become national team manager of France. They tried to get Pochettino, who was desperate to come to Manchester United and, and using every possible lever in terms of making his availability, not just at the end of the season, but immediately um, making his discontent in France clear, talking um, off record, of course, about how his family were still in England and, and he was ready to come back. Qatar said no, blocked the move, um, and then they moved to this interim approach. Um, he was their first choice as interim coach. They managed to convince him to come. The irony is he's not an interim coach. The, the, the way he has worked, um, and, and there's some interesting quotes from Jurgen Klopp about this, because uh, Klopp was, was talking about how it wasn't good news for other teams, but he also went on to say, but all coaches in the world need time to train with our teams and Ralph will pretty quickly realise he has no time to train as they play all the time. So that makes it a bit tricky for him. So he, he, he's kind of getting to uh, the nub of what Ranić is. Ranić's a guy who organises, who changes, who who builds systems, who has a who's had a specific way of playing. It, it remains to be seen what he, what he tries to do with United. But he's a guy who want who needs a preseason, who wants time to work with players, who wants to radically alter the system, and he's not going to get that as an interim. So he's not the ideal fit in terms of someone who will solve the problem immediately. I think he has a huge amount to recommend him as a coach who can change things, and as a as a person to put in charge of the dysfunctional system that is Manchester United's football department. But that's not how he's been hired. And that's not the the idea with which Manchester United have come to that. And they are still looking for um, permanent appointments. And, and you're right to highlight that that is not necessarily going to be an easy path when you've given a job, a status of job to someone who's been looking for this kind of status and this kind of opportunity to control a club his entire career. He now has it. He has that consultancy contract. Um, it would be a major surprise to me if he doesn't try and turn that into a position where he is controlling the football department and he either stays on as coach or he brings in someone of his choice as the coach um, and has first say on it and directs the way the team operates going forward via his coach, as he's got in the habit of doing um, in his previous jobs. I had a long chat this week, Duncan, with um, a professional um, coach who um, had taken time to uh, work with Tuchel in terms of learning. You know, coaches these days have this uh, wonderful sense of humility <laughs> where they, they uh, invite themselves uh, to work with people who uh, um, have been successful or have extremely good reputations. And one of the phrases that stuck with me uh, that this person said was, um, 
that Ranick is not a firefighter. He's not Red Adair. He's a project manager. He takes a club and he reshapes it and he does everything with regards to um, both training, recruitment, uh, even down to uh, the organisation of the facilities that the club use in order to maximise not just the potential but the performance of the club that he is working for. And that is his modus operandi. And therefore, he said to me, I just don't see it. I don't see Ranić as being a seven-month manager. He said, you know, it's like employing a short order chef uh, in a Michelin star restaurant. It just isn't going to work. And I just don't see how it will work with Ranić and Manchester United unless he's given time to put his stamp on it and do it his way. Now, I think you can look at it two ways in terms of um, Manchester United's point of view. Um, either they believe that Ranić is not a big enough name, which is weird uh, given that they employed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for three years, uh, and therefore they couldn't sell that into their shareholders, whom of course are the guardians of uh, the Glazers, um, and the supporters whom they have exhibited a lot of disdain and ignorance in terms of what they expect from their football club. Or they're simply taking a punt. They're thinking, do you know what? If he does do well, then why not? We can say, and we can sell. We've abandoned plans to appoint someone else, even though Ralph was always appointed as an interim. And that we're going to keep him because he's done a good job. We've been very impressed by the way he has operated um, at the club. And he deserves the opportunity uh, to continue the work uh, that he has done. And again, hypothetically, the progress that's been made in that time. So weirdly, in some ways, it's a win-win for the Glazers and Manchester United. And of course, for incoming de facto chief executive or executive chairman, Richard Arnold because they get to have it both ways. If he fails, they bring in Pochettino, Rogers, whoever. If he succeeds, they say, thanks, but no thanks. We've got a very good head coach here and he's done a good job and we're going to give him the job uh, or a contract, I should say, um, for uh, two, three years full time and let him get on with it. And that seems to me to be um, the thinking and let's face it, Manchester United of late have not been um, ones who have covered themselves in glory with regards to forward planning and or <laughs> even just short-term planning um, regarding the success of the team. So it will be a very, very interesting um, few months ahead. Uh, of course, uh starting with a very big game tomorrow evening and uh, how things go forward uh, from here. You're, now, I mean, Ian, uh, you're, you're asking whether Manchester United have had a properly thought out, well-implemented decision-making process over appointing Ralph Ranić. 
to which I well, would I'm ask. Well, I'm not asking. Half, I, th- I, th- I think half, we both know what, I, what the answer is. Have <laughs> Manchester United had a properly well-thought-out, well-implemented decision-making process since Alex Ferguson retired as manager? Let's move on to Liverpool, Duncan. Um, we mentioned Timo Werner and Liverpool are, we understand, and it is our information and your information, Duncan, that uh, Jurgen Klopp is keen to augment uh, his potential goal return, um, feeling that uh, the team has uh, underperformed in terms of chances converted since they won the league title uh, and also um, had their glory spell in terms of winning the Champions League and Premier League in a calendar year. Uh, It's definitely the case and the statistics show that that Diego Jota has done very well, possibly overperformed, but Roberto Firmino has tailed off in terms of his goal return Mo Salah certainly has not. He is currently top scorer in the Premier League. And Sadio Mane continues to be consistent as always. However, your information, Duncan, I understand is that Klopp uh, has the resources um, at his disposal to um, improve, augment, and indeed um, go out into the market and look, as I said before, as we both know, you know, every every manager in the world wants goals for Christmas, uh, it, but it's not as simple as asking Santa Claus um, when he comes down the chimney to provide you with uh, a twenty goal a season striker. Um, what are you hearing with regards to um, the pursuit, and is it realistic to believe that Liverpool may well recruit in January in order to boost? their firepower um, going into the second half of the season. That's the aim. Um, They're looking for a forward who can play across any of the the three front positions. Um, I'm told there is a substantial budget in place if they can secure the right player in a January window, which is obviously not easy in normal circumstances. You do have pandemic conditions as as an assistance here and that you've got a lot of clubs in Europe who are open to to bringing revenue in. So you might be able to do things that you couldn't do normally. Um, they have been pleased, as you say, with Jogo Jota um, since he's joined the club. But ideally, I'm told they're looking for a, another player who has that little bit of extra pace that Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane have. So another super fast forward to add to the attack. Part of this is obviously driven by African Cup of Nations. If it goes ahead as expected, um, it will run from January 9th to February 6th in Cameroon. They are due to lose both Salah and Mani to that tournament. Um, they're fighting at the moment, and Klopp has talked about this, to have those players available um, for the January 2nd fixture with Chelsea, which could be a bit of a stretch in that the um, by FIFA rules, um, they, those players should be allowed to go for the, the national teams to prepare for the tournament at that stage, but maybe an exemption can be made for them. But it's a important part of the season, a lot of fixtures. Um, 
they are in position, they have a chance of winning the, the Premier League title back. Those uh, players, Salah in particular, have been exceptional for them in this campaign. They also have Naby Keita likely to go to African Cup of Nations, who's had his best um, half season for it in the Liverpool shirt since he signed. So you, you have a, a scenario where um, if you're going to push for, for titles, it would be of great assistance to Klopp to get a top forward in and a top forward who remains and becomes part of their planning going forward. Um, we know that Salah and Manny have been interested in going elsewhere. We know both of them are pushed to go to other clubs. We know Liverpool had been open to that and, and it had been part of their strategic planning that should a very big bid come in for either of those players. They'd be prepared to sell and invest elsewhere. That kind of had the legs chopped under it um, by the pandemic. Um, and you now have a, a situation where Salah is you know, making it clear that he is happy to sign a new contract at Liverpool and commit the rest of his career to the club if they pay him the money he wants. So that the dynamics changed a bit there because he hasn't been able to move elsewhere. But um, the, look, they, they need a player immediately um, for in January if they can get him. Um, and they also see that going forward, it would be good to have a top uh, quality striker added to their attack. Um, Salah and, and Manny entering into their 30s so that there's an issue of of how long they can perform at exactly the same level as well and um, what I'm told is if they can find the right man then they will take him I do think it's interesting that Werner's in trouble at Chelsea and that Klopp went a long way to trying to secure his signature. Um, whether or not Chelsea would be prepared to sell to a direct rival, especially one who are chasing them down in the Premier League title race, is another matter altogether, especially with their own ambition of replacing Werner um, like for like, if possible, rather than simply um, disposing of what has been uh, a disappointing asset. Next question. Uh, very, very um, interesting. Um, Rui Faria is someone who takes a very, very uh, long-term and considered uh, view on his coaching career. He has um, obviously uh, been in work um, for a while since leaving Manchester United um, in Qatar. Uh, but uh, has chosen to turn down several what a lot of coaches would consider to be prestigious opportunities to um, showcase his ability. We know that he is highly respected in terms of his um, method as well as his extensive knowledge of not just coaching but fitness and uh, also Tactical Nouse as well. Uh, clearly, um, as you've reported, Duncan, and someone who knows Rui well, um, he uh, has effectively put his career on hold because he's waiting for the right opportunity, the one that he believes 
is going to give him the platform to um, succeed and, as I said, um, be at the top of his profession moving forward. He's a very young man still. Uh, he obviously takes his family life uh, very seriously as, as well and therefore obviously takes that into account. Um, you've got some information regarding the latest job <laughs> that Rui has turned down. And I'll tell you what, I wish Rui called me up and said, uh, by the way, I've turned this down. Do you fancy the job yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's been approached uh, to take over at Besiktas, um, one of the biggest clubs in Turkey, obviously, um, champions as recently as 2017. Currently have a squad that includes Miralam Pjanic and uh, Michi Batshuayi, both on loan from Barcelona and Chelsea. Um, I'm currently struggling in the, the, the Turkish Super League, they're 10th at present, 16 points off first place, um, with uh, Sergen Yalçun in charge at the moment. Um, Faria was, I understand, approached as to whether he would be interested in stepping in uh, mid-season to, to try and uh, sort out the problems at the club and, and has passed on that offer. As he has passed on, as you say, a number of offers um, since and, and actually before leaving Manchester United um, in 2018, at the end of the 2017-18 season when United finished second with their highest points total um, in the post-Ferguson era. Um, he is kind of a unique character in, in football in many ways and that has um, almost two decades of experience coaching at the very highest level um, as, as assistant to Jose Mourinho. Um, won the Champions League twice, uh, won league titles, multiple league titles in, in Italy, in England, in Portugal, in Spain. Um, a total of 26 major trophies in his career to date. Um, so a vast array of experience and, and very important uh, to Mourinho as an assistant, not not I think he's perceived by some people as simply being a fitness coach. But as you say, his remit went far beyond that, and he was extremely important in in uh, all areas of decision making in the team. And you can look at what Mourinho said when when Faria decided to to step away from the role and take a break about how important he was and how he would be impossible to replace as uh, an assistant with just one individual. Um, he has, yes, as you say, been careful um, because he knows, I am told, that um, the first job he takes in Europe will have an important effect on the jobs that are available to him going forward. So he wants to be a, at a club where he can succeed, where the tools are available to to use his talents to, um, to bring success to that club uh, in the summer. He was um, high on the list for Celtic. They took a, a very serious look at, at bringing him in to uh, to try and chase down Steven Gerrard's Rangers, but they, in the end, decided to go for Ange Postacoglu. And um, uh, Faria actually withdrew his his, um, his interest in the job on the basis that that Celtic were were going to take someone from Japanese football rather than someone. Uh, who had the, the record he had in, in the European game. He's had one managerial position, which was at Al Duhail in Qatar, immediately won the uh, the Emir's Cup 
um, in his first season there and in his second season had them uh, well on top in the Qatar uh, Stars League, uh, built up a lead that uh, sustained them to the end of the season, though he stepped away over a, a dispute over um, recruitment and the, the, the club broke promises that he would have a, a veto over any purchases and uh, and they basically came to an amicable uh, agreement over leaving. So um, uh, I think a, a clever approach by Besiktas, they would have got a, a proper talent there if they'd managed to convince them. And it is going to be interesting to see where Faria ends up. Um, a lot of Premier League clubs have, have considered him, but as yet um, that offer um, from a club that suits him hasn't come in. Certainly one of uh, the more enigmatic figures, let's just say, and that's an overused word in uh, in football uh, with regards to coaches or players, but um, someone we expect uh, very much to be um, appearing um, as a head coach very soon. And it will be um, a, a project that he believes um, can work for him. And also, of course, for the club he chooses. This being the first pod of the week, we are going to uh, conclude with our heroes and villains section. One of the most anticipated for me, Duncan, uh, given the circumstances of certain uh, goings on, let's just say political and not uh, this week. Uh, I am going to let you go for villain first and then I'm going to go for hero um, because uh, I think we may be on the same track. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, a group of villains, I think, this week. Um, the the people is, is, that, is that a proper collective noun, a group of villains? Surely um, it's like something like a villainy of villains or, you know, a murder of villains. <laughs> a murder of villains. Um, a, uh, what, what could we say, a deception of villains. Um, <laughs> those, the individuals who were on the, on the France football list who... Um, allowed Messi to get his seventh Ballon d'Or um, in a year in which it should have gone to someone else. And clearly, uh, for me, Robert Lewandowski was the individual who should have won. Even Messi himself and his acceptance said that Lewandowski deserved to have a Ballon d'Or, although he said it was for last season that he should have got it when the, when the Ballon d'Or wasn't awarded because of the pandemic. Um, I've done a lot of... Uh, questioning about this this week and I, I've talked to people who are intimately involved in the process and they assure me that it was not a rigged vote. Um, their explanation is, and, and I am prepared to take this as a, as a, an accurate explanation, is it's, it is a result of the star-struck nature of some of the 180 journalists who are uh, voting for the award each year. Um, and we should be able to see that when the next edition of France Football publishes the exact breakdown of who voted for who, uh, where they came from. And um, you can, you'll get from that list um, an analysis of, of why certain people voted for Messi um, above Lewandowski and, uh, and why they, uh, they end up as the, the Transfer Window Podcast Villains of the Week. Well, we may well do, Duncan, an entire podcast just simply reading out the names 
of the shambles of villains. Shambles uh, of I villains. To, <laughs> I seem to I seem to remember we we coined uh, between us um, the collective noun for a collection of Chelsea press officers, and it was a shambles of Chelsea press officers. <laughs> I think we can now transfer that in the transfer window podcast to a shambles of judges. Um, so my hero, uh, along similar lines, Duncan, is going to be um, the person who feels most slighted by this. And that, of course, is Cristiano Ronaldo, who I think deserves the hero award, not because necessarily he deserved to win the Ballon d'Or uh, this year, but because he had the courage to call out the people who made the decision and was extremely critical um, of the person at the centre of that, who uh, is the, um, I think, editor-in-chief of France Football, um, who uh, he claimed used his name and lied uh, about a conversation that was claimed to have been had, that Cristiano said that his ambition in life was to win more Ballon d'Ors than Leo Messi, which to me, as a professional footballer, is absolutely and completely absurd because winning trophies and medals and titles, and as Cristiano said, writing my name in gold in the history of football for the clubs I represent and for my country is the most important part of my life, not winning the individual gong of the Ballon d'Or, and that this person has lied and used my reputation to in some way um, publicise and enhance uh, what the decision has become. So, Cristiano Ronaldo, you are the Transfer Window Podcast Hero of the Week, and the uh, shambles of Ballon d'Or judges are our villains. Um, we hope that you have, of course, enjoyed the Transfer Window podcast. This has been, as always, the news before it becomes news. Please engage with us, of course, on our uh, media platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Transfer Podcast. You can find us also on YouTube. Just search at Transfer Window Podcast. Duncan is at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. We will be back later in the week. Um, and we look forward to uh, hearing your views, of course. And uh, anything that you want to talk about, please get in touch and we will do so. Until Friday, uh, stay safe, be well. And thanks for listening.